Hey guys, it's Michelle, Leah, and Brandy, and this is Spooky Shit and Tales from the Beyond. Happy Halloween, bitches! Woo! Spooky season! Spooky Even though it's only October 25th, you know what? We post episodes on Sunday. This is the best you're gonna get. Yep. <laughs> We're not going to break that habit. He's not going to catch us. You said it's October 25th. It will be. Uh, you guys, it's September 25th right now. It's because today is September I know, 25th. it actually is. <laughs> We're recording a month early. We're getting better at, like, fucking having episodes ahead of time. Also, I'm going to be going on a two-week trip, road trip soon, so we need to get these going. But, to your guys' knowledge, it is October 25th today, right before Halloween. Don't worry. Brandy's like, but it's not. But it's a few weeks. <laughs> but it is. Weeks. But I'm confused. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, table of contents. I'm going to talk about Carl Jackson. And then I'm going to talk about Ronald Clark O'Brien. And I'm going to be talking about Yoshihiro Hattori. Uh, we wanted to let you guys know on our true crime episodes now, we're going to try and do like a broad trigger warning ahead of time. Just so you guys know, our true crime episodes, which we usually do every other week, maybe sometimes we'll do it every week. They usually include violence. Sometimes they include like sexual assault, self-harm, suicide, all the bad stuff. So if you guys like have any uh, issues where like you really wouldn't want to hear that, you should probably just stick to our ghosty episodes. They are more calm. Yes. But yeah, so there's your broad trigger warning because I know my story at least has a couple of violent parts. Yes. <laughs> we often talk about murder if you haven't noticed. Yeah, kind mm. of. Spooky shit. Pookie shit. <laughs> All right, Brandy, you can start off. All right, so my story's about Carl Jackson. Carl Jackson was a 21-year-old computer programmer from the Bronx. He was a quiet young man, the son of a nurse and a postal worker. He usually avoided going out on Halloween because he actually thought that it was too dangerous. Oh. Mm-hmm. On Halloween night in 1998, Carl and his girlfriend, 29-year-old Darlene, went to pick up her nine-year-old son, Clyde, from a children's party near Gun Hill Road. They were taking Clyde home to a babysitter so they could go to another party when an egg hit their car. <laughs> Which sounds so anticlimactic now. <laughs> Just wait. Just wait. 17-year-old Curtis Sterling and his friends had been messing around pranking people, driving by by throwing eggs at their cars. Honestly, such a dangerous prank. Somebody could fucking crash. Not or just worse. that. <laughs> okay. Not just that. They could, they could crack emotionally. Da-da-da. Alrighty. <laughs> at around 11.15pm on Saturday, in the Cortona Park section of the Bronx, one of the eggs hit Carl Jackson's car. Carl ended up getting out of the car to confront the teenagers. Some words were exchanged, and Carl ended up getting back into his car and started driving away. But one of the teenagers um, got into a car and pursued him. <gasps> After catching... Why? <laughs> What's the point? Aggressive teenagers. Um, irrational thinking? Mm, yeah. Impulsive thinking? Stupid thinking? Not thinking, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After catching up to him after driving for a few blocks, the teenager shot Carl once in the temple. <gasps> Fuck. From, like, while he was driving, or did he stop well, his car? They, yeah, they, like, stopped. I'm, I'm assuming they stopped uh, at, like, a stoplight or something. 
or like a stop sign, and he Holy just like shit. shot him in the head. Was the kid in the car too? <gasps> oh, he saw all they of were it. On, they were on their way home. Everyone Hopefully, was with them. Hopefully, he fell yeah, asleep or something. Oh, that was so traumatic. It was his girlfriend and the kid. Oh my god. On Thursday, November 5th, almost a week after Carl's murder, Curtis Sterling was arrested. He was arrested after he tried to sell a gun believed to be the murder weapon to an undercover officer. (laughs) Officers had actually (laughs) set up the deal after receiving an anonymous tip. Curtis was charged with second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon. He was convicted and is serving 20 years in prison. Fuck. Bye, Felicia. Or it's already been over twenty years. Yeah, it has. It's been twenty-two years. It's probably actually. out. Huh? So I couldn't find anything like if he was released or anything, but I'm assuming he was. Yeah. But I can't find like. Oh shit! What he's up to now or nothing. All because of a fucking egg. Yes. Who comes to prank people by throwing eggs and they're like, "Better bring my gun just in case." Yeah, <laughs> just in on, case I need to kill someone. And then on top of that, like you throw the egg at somebody and they get mad and confront you and then you kill them? Like, you're in the wrong, my guy. Like, that's reverse well, bullying. around this time, there was actually a lot of, like, murders because of egg pranking. Really? Yes. There that's was even so some, weird. There was even some where, um, I think they said a 10-year-old was, like, throwing eggs at cars and this guy, like, literally, like, chased the kid and, like, shot and killed him, too. What, what the fuck? He was a little kid. What is up with all these people shaking their guns with them everywhere? it's just wild. Holy shit. So, Carl Jackson's parents were obviously shook and devastated. I read in in one article that Mrs. Jackson said, I think it took us two years to even talk about it. We were just devastated. We never thought that anyone from our family would be murdered, especially on a holiday for something stupid. That fucking sucks. And he was only 21, right? Yeah, it was. he actually died just like a few weeks after he turned 21. Aww. He was a baby. So he had like barely turned 21. Holy shit. In another article, Carl Jackson Sr. said a young life was snuffed out over nothing, but that's what Halloween has gotten into. He never used to go out on Halloween. He always he he always said it was too dangerous even as a teenager, but this year he wanted to take the kid out. He's gonna be a good little stepdad, kind of. <laughs> I guess he was right all those years. Stay home. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess That's crazy. Was. It's so sad. Every Halloween, on the anniversary of Carl Jackson's death, his family gathers at the Woodland Cemetery in the Bronx. They write messages to him on painted stones that they leave on his grave. Mm-hmm. I also read that every single year on Halloween, Curtis Sterling received a letter in jail that says, I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> oh my guess, god. Guess who it's from? The mom? Yeah. Hey, Holy shit. They were from Carl's mom. That's fucking. That was kind of fucking I died. funny. I died. I was like, dude, that's like, wow. That's some shit I would do every year. <laughs> and just had a little PSA. Uh, be careful out there. I think <laughs> something about the nighttime and hiding your identity can bring out the worst in people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had this, like, well, I guess it's not a fun fact, but within the span of 14 years, from 1984 to 1998, there were 25, 24 deaths related to egg throwing. How is that? Oh my god. How's there more than one? Seriously, within That's within so 14 weird. years, there was 24 deaths. How do eggs make you that mad? I mean, I understand it's a bitch to clean up eggs, but like, still. That, has that ever happened to either of you guys? Have you made anyone chill? 
No. No. I was Luckily doing not. leg throwing. Hey, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Relax, Brandy. <laughs> my my ex girlfriend before was like driving to see me and uh like at nighttime and somebody threw it at her windshield and she like couldn't even see. So that's why I was thinking it could like cause a car accident. No, it is pretty dangerous. It's fucking dangerous. And I always like get paranoid thinking like what if someone's doing that so you pull over and then they could like yeah, get true. to you or something, you know? That's crazy. PSA, maybe if you can still see, don't pull over immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's don't. just yeah, it's just really scary, and I think it's dumb because like I would I would I would understand if you were super mad like if the egg got on you, but if it's just not your car, like yeah, like really. And yours extra doesn't make sense because like Leah said, it's not like it was their car; they're the ones who threw the egg. Mm-hmm. They got in trouble yeah. for it, and they're like, "You embarrassed me. I'm gonna kill you." Yeah, so, I guess the they were fuck? just mad, or maybe something he said, you know, because he did get out of the car and they probably called them fucking eggheads because they are. <laughs> How Honestly. old was the guy who killed him? 17. Some dumbass 17-year-old yeah. thing to do. Old enough to know better. Right? Come on. Well, so off to a great start, I guess. Um, so <laughs> I never said it was going to be a happy Halloween. No, it's not a happy Halloween. I guess yeah. I did say happy Halloween. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean it. Okay, relax. So I'm going to be talking about Ronald Clark O'Brien, who some refer to as the Candyman or the man who killed Halloween. He isn't, be, he isn't to be confused with the serial killer, Dean Coral, who was dubbed the Candyman. Even more ironic, both had committed their crimes within a year span of each other, and both were in Texas, both oh. of the Candymans, which I thought was very strange. It made me, like, wonder if people from Texas, they just called them that just because they were trying to reuse another name. They were, like, not creative. I don't know. Or they thought he was a copycat or something. No, they probably weren't even fucking similar. No, they weren't similar at all. <laughs> One murdered once, the other was a serial killer. Oh. I'm not talking about the serial killer. I'm going to be talking about the one that obviously happened on Halloween. Um, I can save maybe the Dean Corral one, the serial killer, for another time. If we talk about serial killers again, it could be interesting. (laughs) I'm sure we will, yeah. So in 1974, Ronald was a 30-year-old man living a seemingly normal life in Deer Park, Texas. He and his wife, Diane, had two children, 8-year-old Timothy and 5-year-old Elizabeth. He worked as an optician in Houston. He was the deacon at the Second Baptist Church, where he also sang in the choir. He was also in charge of the local school bus program. So obviously, by all accounts, Ronald was a very actively involved in the community member, and he was really well-liked by everyone around him. And him and his little family seemed perfect to just about anybody you'd ask. But since obviously I'm talking about him on a true crime podcast, Mr. Perfect obviously had some secrets. secrets. And by secrets, I mean he was in some deep financial trouble, and the growing pressure it made him desperate to find a solution. Yeah. And that's what led him to murder. So, as the story goes, on Halloween 1974, Ronald took his two children, Timothy and Elizabeth, trick-or-treating. They were five and eight. Five and eight, yeah. Yeah. His neighbor, Jim Bates, and Jim Bates' young children tagged along, and together they drove the kids to a nicer neighborhood in Pasadena, Texas. Um, So, they kind of drove there in high hopes that this neighborhood would be giving out better candy. I mean, that's kind of just a common thing that even today people will do when they're trick-or-treating. You drive to the nice neighborhoods and they usually hand out the better candy. That's just... We lived a couple blocks away from, like, the ones that sometimes would hand out normal-sized candy bars and we would just have, like, a gang of friends come over and there'd be, like, yeah. 15 of us going. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like that. I guess it was the same way in the 70s. <laughs> so as the evening continued, the kids continued trick-or-treating. They passed by a house with all of its life- lights off and decided to knock anyway. As a little kid, you don't really understand the concept that having your lights off on Halloween means, please leave us alone. We don't have any candy. 
exactly that was literally <laughs> us as kids so they walk up they knock the door and they wait a couple moments um before deeming it a lost cause and then moving us to the next house but their father ronald stays behind apparently he continues knocking waiting feeling very determined that someone will answer the door what the fuck so after a few minutes ronald returns to jim bates and all the children who are down the street by now he tells the group that they should have waited longer because someone actually did end up opening the door and giving him candy he then pulls off pulls out a handful 21 inch pixie six and gives all the kids one also, can you imagine a 21-inch pixie stick? I was, like, in my head, I was like, that's, like, as long as their child bodies. <laughs> Literally almost two feet. I was like, that's so long. Is that a thing? I'm like, hell yeah. The 70s were a wild time. <laughs> so, he even handed one out to a 10-year-old boy who he had recognized from church as they continued their night trick-or-treating. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I think in total there was, like, five, I believe. Eventually, both Ronald and Jim decided to call it a night and take their kids home. When they got home, both of his children begged to let them eat some candy. I mean, obviously, like, it seems unfair to have them put all that work in a sugar treat and not even let them have one piece of candy. Yeah. Um, so he reluctantly agreed and told them they could both have one piece tonight and they could have, like, a bunch of pieces tomorrow. I'm not really sure, like, the mentality on that, but okay. <laughs> They're little, so like, okay, fuck yeah, let's have a piece. He let Elizabeth choose what she wanted for her candy, but for some strange reason was insisting that Timothy could only eat the pixie sticks as his treat. It seemed kind of odd that Ronald would allow his son to eat a candy that's literally just a stick of sugar, sugar dust. Before be- yeah, right before bedtime, but obviously Timothy was eight and he didn't question He it. was fucking hype. Yeah, he's like, okay, he I'll, like, I'll eat whatever go. candy you give me. 21 inches. <laughs> so the pixie stick was stapled shut on one end, so Timothy was having a hard time getting the staple out. Ronald helped him open, Ronald helped him open it, which is super suspicious because... What parent would let their child eat a fucking pixie stick that was stapled shut on one end? I was like, I don't know if they're manufactured to be stapled. <laughs> they're not, Michelle. Let me oh, tell you. okay. Believe it or not. So, Timothy tilted his head back to let the sugar fall into his mouth, but it seemed to be stuck. He couldn't get anything out. So, again, he asked his father for some help, who ended up, like, kind of shaking it and loosening the powder for him. Been there. Yeah. Asking your father to help give you a pixie stick? No, when it gets all clumped oh. up, you have to like massage the candy. <laughs> oh, I thought you made me fast out. I was like, what a weird thing to do, Michelle. What a specific scenario. Right? So immediately upon tasting it, Timothy made a sour face and told his dad it tasted really, really bitter. Ew. Robert told him to hang on a moment while he went to get Timothy a glass of Kool Aid to wash it down. Which, like, if you guys... Glass of Kool-Aid? Yeah, like, if you guys have seen our Kool episode, like, we talk about drinking <laughs> a Kool-Aid, like, he brings some Kool-Aid. I'm like, that's so suspicious. Like, the one drink you could pick. I just thought, that sounds nasty. True. Pixie sticks with Kool-Aid. <laughs> I guess to a child. But if you're like, an eight-year-old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, regardless of the bad taste, Timothy would be damned to waste the only candy of his allowed to eat tonight. So, Literally. he just... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, he just uh, downs the rest of the sugar with the Kool-Aid. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, almost immediately, Timothy began to complain that his stomach was hurting really bad and sprinted to the bathroom. There he began to vomit profusely and started to convulse on the ground. Robert would later claim to investigators that he held Timothy as the child was vomiting and as he went limp in his arms. Fuck. So shortly after, I'm not sure who exactly, but someone had called the ambulance. Maybe like the mom or neighbor, I'm not sure. The ambulance arrived, um, but unfortunately Timothy would die on his way to the hospital. And this was all within one hour of eating the candy, like less than an hour. 
You guys, so I, I think there's something wrong with this candy. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds poison to me. I don't know. So, the news of Timothy's death by poison Halloween candy spread like wildfire in the community. Most parents either threw away or turned in their children's Halloween candy to the police literally that same night, fearing it oh, could be wow. tampered with. Yeah. We're about to run fucking fast. For real. Well, it, 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 I think it was kind of like a close community. In, it was just like phone Texas. tag everyone calling each yeah, other. Exactly. <laughs> That's how it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Timothy O'Brien's autopsy revealed that he had consumed a huge amount of potassium cyanide. Ugh. It was actually enough to kill more than two adults. Oh my gosh. That's why it works so fast in him, because, you know, he's a, a child. A little boy. Small. So immediately it was realized that the pixie six he had gotten while trick-or-treating had been what actually killed him. They had been poisoned with cyanide. How were they... Oh, it's the only candy he ate that night. Yeah. I was like, how do they know it was the pixie sticks? Yeah. I mean, I know it's the pixie sticks, because I heard about the staple, but... <laughs> <laughs> True. So, remember how Ronald gave out four other Pixie Six he had gone from the house with the lights out? Well, luckily, right away, four of the five he handed out were recovered by authorities from the children, none of whom had consumed the candy. Thank God it was a Pixie Six, um, which is, like... Not like candy. Yeah, I was gonna say, if you're a little kid, like, the Pixie Six is not gonna be the one that you're gonna want to eat first. You go for the chocolate bars first. Like, that's the last one I would eat, to be honest. <laughs> so, the parents of the fifth child became hysterical they were freaking out um they couldn't locate the pixie stick that their child was given by um ronald and they rushed upstairs to find their son asleep literally holding the pixie stick in his hand apparently a little weirdo no no not, (laughs) not in a weird way um when they asked him about it um it's because he fell asleep because he was unable to open it because it was kind of tough with the staples on one end. So Jesus. the only reason that he probably got saved is because I'm assuming it was like a really small boy. It was probably like yeah. his neighbor's um, son. Oh, but yeah, he got saved because he literally couldn't get the staples out, which saved his life. I thought he was just like, this looks so good. And then just cuddled with him. <laughs> <laughs> so upon testing these recovered pixie sticks, they actually contained dosages that would kill three to four adults. So more than what um, Timothy had had. Oh my gosh. Yeah, all the other four ha- could kill three to four adults Even- each. Oh, fuck. Isn't that fucking crazy? Jeez. He got the weakest one and still killed him within an hour. Mm-hmm. So by this point in time, police weren't at all suspicious that Ronald had, Ronald had anything to do with the poison pixie sticks. Besides simply accepting them out while he was trick-or-treating. Like, he just thought that... The police were assuming at this point that somebody had poisoned it and then, you know... Passed it out. Yeah, Ronald just passed it out to the kids, as a father would do. So they begin to ask Ronald which house they had come from, but he was stumped. They even took him back to the neighborhood the group was trick-or-treating in hopes it might refresh his memory, but nothing. And on top of not remembering the house, he says he never even saw the face of the person responsible. How? (laughs) So apparently, (laughs) when when the person eventually opened the door, they just creepily slipped their arm out and gave him the pixie sticks like the five pixie sticks um however that's not i guess it's not a lost cause because he did have some minor details about the arm he claimed that it was definitely a man's and that it was really hairy just oh, a fucking wow. great observation you narrowed it down dude we it, got our guy it would have been so much less suspicious if he was like oh they answered it in costume and they were wearing a mask yeah just a hairy <laughs> arm just a, a was little definitely a guy's out. arm so, police began to become suspicious of Ronald's poor memory. I mean, how could you not remember the home that you stood in front of for an extra few minutes hoping they'd answer? Who, when they finally did answer, creepily cracked the door open and 
just an arm emerged out to give you some pixie sticks that were literally stapled shut. I mean, I feel like that's so specific. It is very specific. Yeah. And especially, like, after your son dies, I feel like that's something you probably try to remember at least or at least he would try to make some guesses on which house it was like oh it could be this house this house or this house he didn't he had no idea apparently so yeah i'm calling bullshit on that i mean obviously i know what happens in the story it, it is bullshit <laughs> spoiler based on the intro where we're talking about his life i feel like this might be bullshit it is bullshit <laughs> so by this point police started to get ideas that maybe ronald was the one who had actually killed his son after all a few days later, and more impatient now, they were firm with Ronald and insisted that he take them to the house. And suddenly, with a little bit of pressure applied, his memory came back, and it was working just fine. What a blessing. Yeah, so while they were walking around the neighborhood, he pointed out the house that he had claimed was the one who gave him the pixie sticks. So, police discovered that it belonged to a man named Courtney Melvin. Without even further investigating, they tried knocking on the door, but no one was home. So they went to his work and arrested him in front of all of his colleagues uh, without even talking to digging him? a little bit more. No, they just arrested him right off the bat because... cops, dude. Yeah. And you have to remember, too, that Ronald was, like, very involved in the community. He was really respected, so he had some sort of... Control. Yeah. yeah. Not power. necessarily, but, like, people trusted him. So okay. they, they never would have believed yeah, it was him. Yeah, yes. exactly. So, Melvin was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport, and as it turned out, he had a very tight alibi the night of the murder. He had timestamps and eyewitnesses who recalled that he didn't get home from work until 11 p.m. on Halloween night. Literally, there were nearly 200 people who confirmed that Melvin was at work that, at the time <laughs> of the murder. His wife and daughter were actually at home at the time, but I turned out the lights early into the evening because they ran out of candy. And they swore that they didn't open the door for anyone. Were their arms hairy? No, Michelle. Did anyone even check? Michelle, Ronald was sure it was a man's arm. So how could it have been? The guy who listed, they're like, he has alopecia. He doesn't have <laughs> hair on his arms. <laughs> so apparently while, quote, grieving, Ronald had written and performed a song for Timothy about him going to join Jesus in heaven. That's weird. Yeah. So, Creepy. I know. Ominous. I don't know the lyrics. <laughs> So, on the night of Timothy's funeral, Ronald got angry at his relatives because they wouldn't stay up late to watch a recording of his performance being broadcast on TV. What like, apparently fuck, he got dude? he got super pissed off at his family, like, won't you guys stay up with me? Like, obviously they were exhausted. They were just at little Timothy's funeral. They don't need to watch you perform. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they already heard him sing the song and stuff, but he's like, no, you guys have to watch it on TV. That's so yeah, awkward to yeah. even think about. Seems suspicious to me. Even if he, like, wasn't suspicious, I feel like that's just such an odd thing to yeah. like, watch me sing. Narcissistic, dude. Yes. So, by this point, police were digging into Ronald because none of what he had said up to this point had been true, and they were realizing that. It was discovered upon investigation that Ronald was over $100,000 in debt. <laughs> and I... I, the article I read, it actually included, like, an equivalent to what that is today. And I guess it's $500,000 today, oh, about. that's a lot more. Yeah. So, he struggled to hold down a job. And, in fact, he had 21 jobs over the last 10 years before this oh event happened. Goodness. Yeah, and I've had a lot of jobs within, like, the last five years. But, like, damn. like, Leah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that beats my record. So, Ronald was close to being fired at his current job because he was suspected of theft. His car was about to be repossessed. He had defaulted on several bank loans, and he had even had the family home foreclosed on. Where did all this money go? I don't know what he fucking owed a bunch of money on. I'm not sure, but... 
Or he just couldn't afford a house or a car. Yeah, I, anyway. I'm kind of getting that vibe. And he kept switching job after job to maybe try to find something that made him better money. I'm not really sure. Damn. He had recently taken out a life insurance policy on both of his children January, both of them being at $10,000 each. Mm-hmm. And then just a month before Halloween, he increased those to $20,000 each. So $40,000 for both of the children. They found out he'd even called his insurers to ask about the payout at 9 a.m. the morning after Timothy's death. That's too soon. Yeah. Well, Literally, like, 12 hours I later. I don't really know what's normal for that. It's just because I know he's a shady dude that this seems shady, but I wonder if he was innocent, if this would still seem shady. Yeah, well, authorities thought it was shady. Like, everyone, even people in the family oh, okay. who heard that he do, did that, they thought it was shady. So this isn't, know. it's not a normal thing to ask I, I was like, like that, before that 12 would, hours. That would be the last thing on my mind. Yeah, you maybe you would ask in a week or so after you kind of have settled on grieving, mm-hmm. like calmed down a little, but it was very suspicious in everyone's eyes that yeah. like he called the next morning. Yeah, I always hear stories like that, and I'm like, well, would it, if they were innocent, would it seem suspicious? Like maybe they needed the money to pay for the funeral? But also, the payouts probably aren't even that quick. Probably take no. a fucking long time. Yeah, it just kind of seemed, though, that the only thing he really cared about at that time was money. I mean, he cared about going on the TV with Timothy Song, which is very weird, and he cared about the payout that the insurers would give him. So creepy. Yeah. So, granted a search warrant, officers were able to find scissors with plastic residue attached, which was actually um, a match to the plastic tops of the lace pixie sticks. So, remember how they were stable shut? They were able to find the tops of the pixie sticks, essentially. So, as the investigation continued, the evidence started to stack up against Ronald. It turned out that Ronald was going to community college and in class would ask his professor things like, what is more lethal, cyanide or another type of poison? Literally, he'd ask his professor like, that. I'm a math teacher. What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I couldn't figure out what class he was taking at the community college. I'm hoping it was something like chemistry or a science class. Could, can you imagine they just, like, ask his, like, English teacher? But like, what? <laughs> yeah. I want to assume, though, it was a science class, but regardless, like, his peers they were able to remember that he said that and same with his professor and then obviously when this whole thing came up they they were like oh yeah yeah they were called that to the police yeah (laughs) another witness came forward who worked for a chemical company in houston texas and told police that a man had come in to buy some cyanide but left after being told the smallest amount he could buy was five pounds which i'm like five pounds isn't that a lot but i don't know i don't really yeah while he couldn't positively identify Ronald, he didn't remember that the customer was wearing a smock, like a doctor. And if you remember from earlier that Ronald was an optician, this was exactly uh, the uniform he'd be wearing to work. Stupid ass. Yeah. So even his friends and coworkers testified that in the month before Timothy's death, Ronald showed a strange interest in cyanide and talked about how much it would take to kill a person. God. It's like so, these people don't even try. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so stupid. Ugh, so stupid. Fuck you, Ronald. So, Ronald maintained his innocence in his trial. His defense had been based on the urban legend of a mad poisoner who hands out candy laced with poison, or needles, or candy apples with razor blades. You know, pretty much like those those old tales of, like, don't trust people who give you fucking candy on Halloween. It's probably poisoned. When in reality... That was his I defense. It's, like, only him that's ever done this. Yeah, so I, I actually think that he was, like, one of the first people to do this. And that's why they call him the man who killed Halloween. It's because it instilled so much fear in just the entire American population to trick-or-treat after that point because you don't know if your candy's laced or not. True. Yeah, so no one was buying his defense, and after only 46 minutes of the jury deliberating, they came to a consensus. 
He was ultimately found guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. Because if you remember, obviously, the four other pixie sticks. Yeah. So he was sent to death row at Huntsville Unit. His fellow death row inmates deeply despised him for being a child killer and even held an organized demonstration on his execution date to express their hatred in him. Oh my like, nobody would even talk to him. Hilarious. I know. <laughs> What's what you get for killing a child, specifically your own son? Yeah. So on March 31st, 1984, nearly a decade since the crime, Ronald Clark O'Brien was executed by lethal injection. Wow. I know. Finally, we see somebody who actually, like, we know they're guilty. Uh, we actually see them you know, complete their death sentence. Usually they end up just dying before it ever happens. Big true. Yeah. So during the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison. Some cheered while some yelled, trick or treat. Others showed anti-death penalty, dem- others showered anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. So you had some people that were like against the anti-death penalty. Like they weren't, they obviously didn't want to do lethal injection. They were all for that. They they showed up to be like, oh, this is wrong. And then there was the majority of the people were like, trick or treat, bitch, and like throwing candy at the Jesus ones, Christ. throwing candy at the ones who were saying that he shouldn't be killed. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to tie up some loose ends, shortly after Ronald was convicted for the murder of his son, his wife filed for divorce. She later remarried her new husband and ended up adopt and that husband ended up adopting Elizabeth, the daughter. That's good. So she wouldn't have to be associated with. Um, her birth dad yeah her estranged father ever again because he literally probably was gonna try to kill her too at some point and killed her brother yeah that's fucked yeah so super sad but yeah we did warn you at the beginning yeah and that's i think that was kind of where the idea of um poisoning candy and like candy being tampered with came from he's the one who killed halloween he fucked it up for everyone he did all right So, I'm going to be talking about the death of Yoshihiro Hattori. Yoshihiro was born in Nagoya, Japan in 1975 to engineer... I pronounced... I I had to Google how to say this name, and I was on a Japanese baby name website, (laughs) and I didn't write it down. So, Masaichi and Mieko. I think that's it. That sounds right. He was the second of three kids in the family. He loved rugby and was really extroverted. In August of 1992, when he was just 16 years old, he left to Baton Rouge in the U.S. as part of an exchange student program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just never come to the U.S. Go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. We're not good. Basically. <laughs> I said, I don't remember if I said this part of the internet, but he'd even gotten a scholarship to pay for his trip. And in an entrance paper he submitted for the program, he wrote, Wherever I go, I wish I could make the country a second home country. I can make Japanese cooking like tempura cutlet for host families and introduce the living way of Japanese. While in Baton Rouge, he was hosted by Richard and Holly Haymaker and their teenage son, Webb, who I believe was around his age. Despite playing rugby in Japan, Yoshihiro opted to instead take a jazz class in his new school. He and Webb became friends quickly, with Webb later saying that Yoshihiro had an enormous appetite for life and experience and tried to make friends everywhere he went. Oh, you sound so sweet. I know. And I hate that you're talking about him like this because... Because I, I mean, started out by saying the death of him. Yeah. And he's only 16. it's brutal and it i think it's just extra sad when it's like an exchange student is excited to explore a country and something happens to them there yeah uh anyway so yoshihiro and webb went to a jazz festival not long after meeting and there they met another japanese exchange student two months into living in the u.s he and webb were invited to a halloween party that had been organized i think by the fellow exchange student they met or it was kind of for exchange students i wasn't totally sure okay it said different things on different websites 
but this party was to take place on October 17, 1992. On the night of the party, Yoshihiro had dressed in a white tuxedo with a ruffly shirt to look like John Travolta's character from Saturday Night Fever. Aww. Which, reading that, actually, I almost started crying because I was thinking about a 16-year-old all dressed up and ready to go, and it fucking sucks. Um, it's making me sad again. <laughs> Webb, meanwhile, wore a neck brace that was not a costume. He'd recently had an injury. <laughs> and he also had bandages. That I'm not sure if those were the injury or a costume, so maybe he was supposed to look like an undead person or something. I don't know. Or I mean, a survivor of a crash. Yeah, the neck brace sounds like, even if it was like a real thing, you could just make it a looks costume like a out costume. of it. Yeah. So, all ready to go, the boys set off. Around 8 p.m., they arrived in a neighborhood in East Baton Rouge where the party was being held. They walked together to the front door of the Halloween decorated home and rang the doorbell. Nobody answered, but after a minute, a woman opened up a side door by the carport. I think it's kind of similar to a garage, but maybe not closed. Like, that sounds so suspicious. It's fucking weird. And this is only at 8 o'clock. So, Webb tried to talk to her and say they were there for the party, but she said later that she panicked when she saw Yoshihiro in costume and holding a camera, turning the corner and, quote, moving briskly towards her. She slammed the door and told her husband, who had been sitting down for dinner with her three kids, to grab his gun. Oh my god, fucking dumb bitch. So, if you hadn't guessed by now, this was not the house where the party was being held. They had mixed up two of the numbers on the address, and the house was, like, several houses down. Oh, my God. So, I think on the correct street, though. Why was the lady so scared? It was Halloween. It was, I guess, because it was two weeks before, but, like... Oh, that's right. But they look young. Like, I will... Hold on. I'm going to pull up a picture right now for Liam Brandy so they could see Yoshihiro. He looks like a 16-year-old. And he Is there was, a picture of him on Halloween? No. Oh. And he was dressed up in, like, a white tuxedo and stuff, looking like John Travolta. Aww. And that's... This is a picture of Webb. Like, he also looks like a fucking kid. And he had a mm-hmm. neck brace on. And this lady was like, oh my god, honey, get your gun. There's teens. Wow. And it's not like they were, like... Fucking being, Yeah, literally, that's what I was thinking of. And it's not even like they were being threatening or anything. They, like, ring the doorbell and were like, oh, we're here for the party. And she was like, oh my god, I don't know what to do. But um, yeah, instead of the party, this was the home of married couple Bonnie and Rodney Pierce. I I looked up how to pronounce their last name, and I think it's Pier- Pierce? It's spelled weird. There's a lot of vowels. P-E-A-I-R-S. I'll say Pierce. But yeah, like I said, they had a similar address to the house the boys were looking for, and they also had de- decorations outside, so they just assumed that this was the party. The two teens realized this probably was the wrong house and were about to walk back to their car when the door opened again. This time, it was Rodney standing there, who I think at the time was 30. Bonnie's probably a couple years younger. And Rodney was holding a gun. Yoshihiro began to walk back towards him, saying, we're here for the party. Rodney shouted for him to freeze, thinking the camera he was holding was a weapon, and Webb called out to warn his friend when he saw the gun. Yoshihiro had, like, pretty limited English. Mm. Like, one of the reasons he wanted to come to America is so he could practice his English. So it's very possible he didn't understand the word freeze because, Leah, you learned German and I learned Spanish. Do you learn the word freeze really quickly? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to ask them. I was going to ask if there was like a language barrier with the internet. I think that there was definitely a language barrier and it pisses me off because Rodney probably heard that this kid had an accent and stuff. Uh, yeah, and also, stupid. I was going to say too, maybe because if if the if he thought that it was a Halloween party, maybe he saw the gun. He had just thought it was like, maybe bro. somebody attending the party. Like, I mean, yeah. you see fake guns, fake axes on Halloween all the time. So exactly. how is he supposed to know it was real? 
Yeah, I was also just going to say, um, he wasn't wearing his usual contact lenses. Like, he lost at least one of them. So, he may not have even been able to tell what the gun was. And, like, oh. it was, like, 8 o'clock at night and stuff. So, but even if he did, likely is that he could have thought that this was the party and it was, like, a prank or something. Yeah. So, regardless, Yoshihiro kept walking forward while laughing until he was about five feet from Rodney when he was shot in the chest. All of this, including the boys ringing the doorbell, had happened in barely over a minute. Oh my gosh, I bet his friend was freaking out. Oh yeah, he was. Rodney quickly retreated back into his house while Webb, like Leah said, was freaking out. He ran to a neighbor to ask for help. He came back with a neighbor and they found Yoshihiro badly injured laying on his back. The neighbor began calling for help and they could hear Bonnie's bitch ass inside calling out, go away. Bitch, what do you mean go away? You just shot him in his chest. I know. It's like, are you supposed to leave him there? What the fuck? And I should say that the gun they used was a Magnum 44 revolver. Which I'll talk about more later, but um, what Robert told me, this is a big dog gun. (laughs) It's a big gun. Yeah, and it's, like, it's not going to just injure somebody. It's very likely it will kill them. Very lethal. Yes. So an ambulance eventually arrived, um, but Yoshihiro died only minutes later after it got there from blood loss. Mm -hmm. The bullet had pierced the upper and lower lobes of his left lung before exiting through his ribs. (sighs) He was only 16 years old, and I believe he was going to turn 17 in like a month. Aww. He was only in America for two months. He was only point. in America for two months. Poor thing. He didn't even get to experience his full year. I know. So the peers didn't leave their house until 40 minutes later when the police arrived. So they just sat locked up while all this was happening, and a fucking kid was just dying in their front yard. Jeez. They fucking suck. When the police did arrive, they barely did fucking anything. They just questioned Rodney and quickly quickly released him without charging him because they believed that he'd been within his rights to shoot the trespasser. And remember, this trespasser was just a 16-year-old who didn't speak much English in costume looking for a Halloween party. He even said, like, the how Yoshihiro was laughing while walking towards him and stuff. And he took this as menacing rather than this guy didn't think that he were serious. So... Uh. Yeah, it ended up taking the Louisiana governor and a Japanese consul general to kind of, like, put pressure on the police for Rodney to be charged with manslaughter. They weren't going to do shit at first. Yeah. So while testifying in trial, Rodney said, quote, It was a person coming from behind the car, moving real fast. At that point, I pointed the gun and hollered, freeze. The person kept coming towards me, moving very erratically. At that time, I hollered for him to stop. He didn't. He kept moving forward. I remember him laughing. I was scared to death. This person was not going to stop it. He was going to do me harm. He admitting to shooting him, also saying, I felt I had no choice. I'm very sorry that any of this ever happened. A detective who had interviewed Rodney said he told him, boy, I messed up. I made a mistake. Despite him showing regret during the trial, from what I could tell, he never made an attempt to contact the parents of Yoshihiro to directly apologize to them. He just did, like, broad apologies in court. Yeah, he just wanted to get off the hook. Yeah. And the erratic walking, from what I could tell, is... I read this on one website, but I couldn't even include it as a source because I read it a couple days ago. And uh, it was, like, the same thing that happened last week where I exited out of it to go to sleep and I could not find it again (laughs) the next day. But basically, they said... Whether it was because he was, like, frustrated, like, because their language barrier, barrier, or, like, just trying to... I don't know, just make himself known. He would sometimes, like, wave his arms and walking towards people while talking. Uh, so he may have been doing that. I was thinking about what, what, we could, what we could call the sources that just kind of vanish on us and we're not sure. We can call them phantom sources. Yes, this is from my phantom source. <sighs> that he may have waved his arms around, so clearly he was threatening. Yeah, also, though, if you're, like, thinking from a six-year-old mentality, you're like, 
if you think it's a prank at a Halloween party, you're like, come on, like, cut the shit. I want to party. Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to think about, like, the perspective he must have been been in. And it happened so fast. He probably had no idea what the fuck was happening. Yeah. It's, It's just really sad. So, Ronnie's lawyers basically said that he was just an average Joe and that Yoshihiro had an extremely unusual manner of moving that any reasonable reasonable person would find scary. Mm-hmm. They also said it was Bonnie's panic that made Ronnie react with such deadly force. Because when she came to tell him, he didn't even hesitate or question her. He just went into their bedroom and got a gun that was hidden. Bonnie herself testified about the night saying, quote, He was coming real fast towards me. I had never seen somebody come at me like that before. I was terrified. She also said, there was no thinking involved. I wish I could have thought if I would have just thought. So, you guys, a little PSA in the middle here. If somebody is, like, making you feel scared outside your house or whatever, don't be Bonnie. Fucking think about, oh, wait, they said they're looking for a party? They're at the wrong house. Like, think before you fucking kill somebody. Yeah. So, on the other side of the trial, the district attorney questioned why Rodney, who stood at six foot two and was holding a gun was so afraid of Yoshihiro, who was only 130 pounds and an unarmed kid. And he'd even, like like I said before, he rang the doorbell. The trial lasted for seven days, and after only three hours of deliberation, Rodney was found not guilty of manslaughter. Supporters in the courtroom broke into applause, ignoring the parents of the deceased 16-year-old sitting in the same room. What the fuck? At least, like, do a silent nod. Like, you don't need to rub salt in the wounds like that for the parents. Yeah, and they were just sitting in there watching all this happen is super Aww. insensitive and fucked up. So the Hattori family later brought a wrongful death suit against Rodney. They said they had no desire for the money. They just wanted the U.S. justice system to admit that Yoshihiro's death was wrong. The lawyers argued that Rodney and Bonnie had acted unreasonably from the start. First with Bonnie panicking at the mere sight of two teenage boys, Rodney grabbing his gun, no questions asked or communication about what he should do, going outside on the offensive rather than staying inside and calling the police, firing his gun too quickly, not firing a warning shot or a shot to only wound, just that's automatically what, shooting in the fucking chest. That's what I was thinking, like, hit the sidewalk or something, or, like, if you're gonna shoot, you really feel threatened. Like, shoot it in the air, though he yes. will run away. Or yeah. maybe or just like don't, a leg. Go, don't go outside. Just yeah. stay inside. And then, if he would have looked out the window, he would have seen them walking towards their car to leave. Yeah. Ugh. Um, I read one thing that I couldn't see the source without getting a membership. One of those websites. Yeah, it was one of their... I think it was, like, an old-ass article, and they're like, just see these archives. But, yeah, um, it said it dismisses Rodney's claim that Yoshihiro had been moving weirdly and quickly towards him. According to this claim, which I don't even know if this is a possible thing that people could tell, but it said, forensic evidence showed that Yoshihiro was more than likely standing still or moving slowly when shot, and his arms were likely away from his body, showing he wasn't a threat. So he could have been doing, like, the arm thing, like I said. Oh, yeah. But, again... Wasn't able to confirm this, and I don't know if that's even a thing that you could tell. Yeah, maybe it's kind of like, maybe just a guess even. I wouldn't say that it's a confirmed forensic evidence. (laughs) Unless it was like on video, obviously. But uh, overall, this whole situation could have been handled without a teenage boy dying. The courts found Rodney liable to the Hattori family and was ordered to pay them $650,000 in damages. They said there was no justification for the killing and there was no need for that dangerous of a weapon. So I don't know anything about guns, and like I said before, I fucking hate guns. But from what I could tell, doing a quick Google search, um, and like I said, talking to Robert, this is just like a super intense gun. Like, it could seriously fuck someone up, and it's just kind of unnecessary to have just to, like, scare someone away, basically. Just like an AK-47, nobody should own this. Yeah, Jesus Christ, dude. (laughs) 
So, Rodney tried to repeal the court's decision twice, but it was upheld both times. His insurance ended up paying for 100000 of it, but he was left responsible for the remaining five hundred fifty k. Good, at least he has to do something. Yeah. I know, but I'm saying but there's so many it's times... It's kind of what we were talking about before with restitution money. Like, you know they're not going to pay it. No one has that much money. <laughs> yeah, true. I wonder how that works. I talk about it a little, but... Yeah, so once it was all over, Rodney went to tell the press that he would never own a gun again. And as of seven years ago, and this is one article I read, it's reported that he was totally broke, losing both his house and job and living in a trailer park. So, yeah, basically the Tories didn't really get that much money, but they didn't care. They just wanted it proven, like, that this was super fucking unnecessary. Yeah, that's so sad that they sent their son overseas like that for... And he never came back. Supposedly an opportunity of his lifetime, and just two months later, he was shot because America has a huge gun problem, and how is he? How is that kid supposed to know that it's actually that predominant? Like, Yeah, and until even late. people were celebrating that his killer wasn't going to go to jail. That's Gross. Harsh. It's awful. Blech. So, the shooting and the subsequent trial, it shocked and outraged many, but especially people in Japan. So, let me get you guys some gun facts that blew my mind about Japan. So <laughs> they, sounded like... I know. It wasn't supposed to sound like a suicide joke. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, it shocked me. <laughs> in Japan, they have super strict gun laws. For starters, handguns, like the one used to kill Yoshihiro, are outright banned. Only shotguns and air rifles are allowed. Then to get a gun, you must attend a day-long class, take a written exam, and pass a test at a shooting range with at least a 95% score. You must also take drug tests, have your criminal record checked, mental health checks, police will even look into your relatives and coworkers to make sure you have absolutely no connections to extremist groups, and police must know where you keep your guns and ammunition stored, and they must be stored separately and under lock and key. Wow, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that it's reminds me, <laughs> like, to have a gun there, it's like, the same thing you have to go through to be in, like, a special ops force in the military. Like, yeah, all this. they do it right, dude. And <laughs> yeah. here, it's just, like, all fucking willy-nilly. Yeah, you just, like, sign something and they give it to you. That's yeah. kind of cool, though. It's kind of, like... I like it. Because they actually take it seriously. They know, yeah. like, this can be used to kill somebody. I like how they do the, the background check on the person. That's important. Yes. They'll also go and inspect your guns yearly for you. And after three years, your license will run out and you must... Do all these steps oh, again. Oh, nice. So it doesn't... Which I really stuff. like. So if in three years, if something fucking happens and you have a mental break, mm. they'll be like, uh, no, bitch. <laughs> yeah, I'd give it back. Yeah. So even police in Japan rarely use guns, though they do carry them. Instead, I thought this was fucking sick. They put more emphasis on using martial arts. Like, they have fucking to be good at martial arts. Fucking badass. And they're trained to only use guns when absolutely no doubt about it, it's unnecessary. And I'm not talking about America, where they're like... Oh my god, we had to because they're holding a sandwich. Like, if somebody is, like, coming at them with a knife, they will try and disarm them and, like, tackle them. And they, guess what? They fucking can. There's other stuff to do rather yeah. than shoot them. I mean, if you're trained enough in martial martial arts, there's usually a way to get out of yes. kind of any situation. Yeah. That's what we should do, honestly. Just train around martial, art, martial arts. But um, in 2015, in the entire nation of Japan, the police only fired six shots. Damn. I don't, I don't even really think that they all died. They just fired them. No because they are super intense about it. And you, like, keep track of how many bullets you have at the beginning, how many you shot. And I read one story that they were, like, at a shooting range practicing. And, like, one of the shell casings went behind a target and they didn't realize. And they, like, put the building on lockdown until they could fucking locate the shell casing. Because they were, like, no one's leaving with this shit. They're not wow. allowed to take it home. Like, it's only at work locked up. Wow. 
And for good reason, because not that many people die in Japan from guns. I'll tell you guys more statistics in a second, but yeah. The population of Japan is 126.5 million, and in 2014, it had six gun deaths. 126 million? Six deaths. I'll do the math, Leah, if you're looking this up in a second. Are you going to tell the population of the U.S.? Oh, yes, I am. Because I was about to search that. Yeah, I literally had to Google this number multiple times because I was like, Why? You're like, that's not true. It's like... It's like every year, it was extremely uncommon for it to be above 10. Are you talking about, like, gun deaths just within, like, civilians and police, or just, like, police? I believe it's everyone. I don't know if they counted suicide or not, because I think suicide might be more taboo there. Yeah. Okay. But I think it's also, like, you have to have your mental health check to even get a gun there, so I don't even know. It could be lower, just Yeah, it would naturally be lower. So, in the U.S., we have a population of around 308 million, and in 2014, we had 33,636 deaths caused by guns. Even if you're thinking, like, oh, well, our population's, like, bigger, it sure as fuck isn't 5,606 times bigger, which it's is like what it would take. like big, right? Yeah. Like, a little over twice as big, and we have 5,606 so more deaths than them. if we were trying to be, if we are like... Equivalent, we would have 12 gun deaths per year. Yep, basically. Maybe like 15. Yeah, there's probably 12 gun deaths in San Diego County a year, and that's just San a Diego day. County. <laughs> well, not San Diego, but. Oh, yeah. Definitely more than six a day at that it's rate. It's fucking ridiculous. And from. I didn't write this down, but from what I read, because everyone here, you know, is like, well, if I don't have my guns, then all the bad guys are going to have the guns. Even the fucking gangs in Japan don't really use guns, and they have a hard time getting guns, too. And like I said, six deaths from them a year. Like, bad people will find something else to do, and knives are scary, too, but a lot less people die in knife mass attacks than shooting mass attacks. Yeah. Well, yeah, because knives are very... Knives are very personal. personal. Yeah, so obviously they could, like, fuck you up, and, like, mass deaths for that maybe, like, six or something, but it's not going to be, like... Las Vegas, what, like, 50 people 40 died? or 50. Yeah. Fucking America, honestly. So, with the help of Japanese citizens and Yoshihiro's exchange family, the Hattori's became active supporters of gun control reform in the U.S. They were able to get a petition with 1.7 million signatures from Japanese citizens, and they presented this to the president at the time, Bill Clinton, because it was 1973. And they had another petition with 120,000 signatures of American citizens that was presented to Congress. Wait. You said 1973. You did. I swear. 1993. I'm not repeating it. Okay. I, I think you guys... Well, I guess not everyone is a listener to the U.S. Bill Clinton was not president in 1973. Yeah, I was also going to say... I was like, I thought mine was earlier than yours, not yours no, earlier than mine. Yeah. Mine was in the 70s. My really. bad. I have a lot of numbers in that sentence. <laughs> I got you, fam. So, with the help of the Hattori's, the Brady Bill was passed, which had been introduced a few years before all this actually happened. So, this bill required background checks and a five-day waiting period to buy guns in the U.S., but obviously, unfortunately, not everyone actively enforces this law, and from what I read, at least, no one's actually been punished for, like, not doing it. Yeah, I wouldn't have known that even exists, to be honest. I didn't know that that was a thing, and then I read it, and I was like, this is already a law? I I don't know if I'm, like, misunderstanding that it used to be a law and somebody repealed it, because I... And tripping, because this is clearly not a thing right now. (laughs) But anyway. Yeah, maybe it's like a law written down, but it's not being practiced. Clearly. So, the Heymans, Yoshihiro's host family, they have spent thousands of dollars towards gun control groups in an effort Mm. to stop gun violence, 
And just a few years ago, they gave $500,000 to Carleton College to start a memorial fund for Yoshihiro that would go towards covering some of the costs of Japanese students who wanted to study at the school. Aww. As God, a, I can't imagine what they were feeling too. They were supposed to be responsible for no, him. No, I read a story and the mom, like, I, it was one of them, one of the parents felt like so guilty and like the Tories were coming to like get their son and stuff and like go to the trial. And they yeah. were like so scared they're gonna be angry at them. And the first thing that had, that Yoshihiro's mom asked whenever she got there was, "How's Webb doing?" Because he was Aww. just, she was just scared for like the kid who had seen her son die. Ugh. It's fucked up. So as of 2019, the Hitoris are still active gun reform activists. They even met with the survivors of the Parkland shooting in 2018, and they supported them in the March for Our Lives the same year. Whoa! There's a picture of them with some of the people. Yeah, we should definitely post that picture yes. on our Instagram. Also fucking Powerful. insane how this is a still a thing people are trying to do. And their son died, what, like over 20 years? years ago? Yeah, over 20 years before the Parkland shooting. It's still oh, a fucking yeah. problem. So, PSA, I hate guns. Yeah. And we should be like Japan. <laughs> I love that idea of them knowing more martial arts. But, yes, it's... And the article I read was also talking about how in the U.S. we, like, fucking militarize our police. Yeah. It's... This is a whole thing. We're going to do a fucking police brutality episode eventually. I have strong feelings. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. We'll ask discussion. Oh, yes. So, anyway, if you guys want to email us any ideas, any of your own stories you want us to do an episode on or mention, it's talesaroundpodcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram is talesaroundpodcast. Our website is talesaroundpodcast.com. And our Twitter is spooky underscore beyond. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you want to donate to us, there's probably an easier way, but right now just go through our website to our anchor link and help us get a new microphone so we yeah. can social distance better. But <laughs> besides that, you guys have a good Halloween. Yes, be um, safe. Don't egg cars. Yeah, obviously, after, <laughs> after an episode like this where it's true crime for Halloween, like, be safe. Please. please be careful. Yeah, check your candy. Check that just the house you're going to. Because yeah. fucking Bonnie's dumbass could <sighs> get her husband to kill you. Seriously. Um, but yeah, be safe out there. Have a good Halloween. Actually, you know what? Stay home. We're in a pandemic, bitches. Stay home. Watch some scary movies. It's safer and it's more fun. Aki. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.